together for a moment. Father, our expectation as we listen to your word today is that we will encounter you and that we will be changed. And Father, we just want to invite you to do whatever you want to do today. Father, this is your people. We are your church. And Father, you have a plan that you're working out. You know the plan from the end, from the beginning, and the beginning from the end, and the bit in between. And so, Father, we just want to commit ourselves to you. Father, open our hearts, open our eyes, open our understanding. I love that line along the Emmaus Road. They didn't even recognize you, Jesus. But you opened their understanding, and then you broke bread, and then their eyes were opened. And, Father, I just pray that our eyes, our understanding would be open today, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. So, we're continuing our foundation series. Uh, We just feel that there's still more to get out of the book of Ephesians. And um, we're going to carry on until the summer. And uh, I want to take you back to chapter 4, because we went forward to chapter 6, because it just felt like that's the way the Holy Spirit was leading us. And we want to go back to chapter 4 for the remaining time in the series, and then that will take us to the end of the book. And I want to go back and look at what Jesus has done and how it's changed our lives. And in how we speak, how we relate to one another, and especially in the context of the church. That's what we're going to be looking at up until the summer. Relationships, we're calling it. But it starts with understanding what Jesus has done and how it changes the way that we live, because that affects relationships. The first three chapters of Ephesians are all about what Christ has done. Our new identity in Christ, forgiven, adopted, and free. And the second half of Ephesians is about how all of this changes our lives in very tangible and evidential ways. The gospel's life changing. Yes, it is. It's life changing. And just think about how your life has changed since you've met Christ um, and what he's done in your life. I mean, how has your life changed? How has it changed from the beginning? And how has it changed recently, in the last five years perhaps, or in the last year? How about the last few months? How has your life changed? And if your life hasn't changed, then it kind of brings into question what gospel you believe in. Because it's about changing our lives it's it's world transforming stuff that's what the gospel is about and that's what chapter 4 onwards is really all about we can't live like we used to in the light of all that Jesus has done we must change so how have you changed what's Jesus done for you recently why don't you just turn to the person next to you this is a challenge and just share something that has changed in your life recently that Jesus has done and if you're sitting next to your husband or wife ask them have I changed at all (laughs) let's just take a few minutes to do that how have you changed
Do you know, I just want to encourage you. Your testimony is so important. We need to hear it. We need to hear how Jesus is still changing lives amongst us. Jesus, I, but I don't know about you, but being asked that question, I, I found that quite a difficult question to answer. Did anybody else? How has Jesus changed your life in the last few days, last few weeks? Last I can talk about years ago, but how has he changed my life recently? Um, and I've had a few days to think about it, and I've still found it quite a difficult question to answer. And it's not because nothing has changed in my life. It's actually because change often happens slowly and progressively throughout our lives. I want to suggest to you that this is a really important question to be asking ourselves and to be asking God. Lord, what needs to change in me right now? What are you working on in my life? Because I don't know about you, but I want to partner with heaven in how I live rather than just carry on with life and hope it all works out okay. What are you doing in my life right now? What do you want me to deal with, Lord? I'll tell you something for me. When I, you know, when I preach at the front, you think, oh, it's just it's another talk. No, it's hardly ever just another talk. There's always stuff that's going on in me as a result. And that helmet of salvation talk has completely changed my perspective on the whole area of strongholds. God's been speaking to me about strongholds in my thinking that I need to dismantle. To think about my life in a different way. Lord, what is it? What resistance? What areas of resistance are there in me? Lord, what are you wanting to change right now? Oh, actually, I've got a few things. <laughs> so I want to encourage you to keep asking that question because the gospel is powerful and life changing. It's meant to change your life. So don't be robbed of its power through familiarity. Don't accept the lie that you can't change or that you're stuck in some kind of tormenting thought or accusation that you will never be free from. Okay, who needed to hear that today? Don't be robbed. I thought that was a good point. So I want to show you from the passage today that if you change how you think, you'll change the way that you live. That's the message today. So I want to turn to Ephesians 4. We're going to look at verses 17 to 28. And I'm going to work through them a paragraph at a time. And here's three things I want us to see. Number one, wrong thinking in the mind of the unbeliever. Number two, changed thinking, the mind of the believer. Right thinking, the new life, the changed life of the believer. Those three things are what we're going to look at today. So wrong thinking, the mind of the unbeliever. So Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 19. So Paul writing says, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. Very strong, very strong statement. I insist on it that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. 
It's a very strong command that Paul makes here. I insist on it. And literally, the phrase he's using there is, I speak as a witness before the court of law and testify that you must not, you cannot live as the unbelievers do. Very strong statement. You just can't do it, Paul says. It's wrong thinking. And so so that Paul appears to be making sin a malfunction of the mind. It's all about the mind, this whole section. He said, notice all the words that he's using to describe wrong thinking. He talks about darkened understanding, ignorance. He's talking about hardness of heart. And of course, the reference to the heart in the Jewish thinking is a reference to the seat of all thought. Thoughts that come from the heart in verse 18 there. He talks about a loss of sensitivity. It's almost a psychopathic tendency towards selfishness. A lack of conscience that can indulge every kind of impurity. An insatiable greed. So a lack of restraint for evil and carnal appetites there in verse 19. Because you see, sin at its core is wrong thinking. Which is why the transformation of our lives begins when we repent. We change the way that we think. We turn around and we walk in a completely different direction. And for Paul, of course, this happened in an encounter with the risen Lord on the Damascus Road where bent on murder and destruction, Jesus stops him in his tracks and in a flash of brilliant light issues the challenge, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Paul answers, I am Jesus and I'm the one you're persecuting. Now stop it. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. You see, Paul wasn't given any time to think about it, do a quick alpha course, or debate Jesus' theology. The encounter with the risen Christ transformed his life and transformed his mind into a completely different way of thinking and living. Your life has to change when you meet the risen Christ. Because your mind has changed. You can't live like you used to because you no longer think like an unbeliever because now I'm a believer. I've met him. I can't say I'm an unbeliever anymore because I've met the risen Lord. Which leads to the second point, change thinking. The repentance moment leads to change thinking in the mind of the believer. I'm now a believer. And this next paragraph is the crux of the whole thing about how changed thinking leads to a changed life because it's not about the way of life that you learned, verse 20 to 24. This, that, however, as the unbeliever lives, is not the way of life you learn. Verse 21, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus... You were taught regarding to your, with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be 
like God. Say that, like God, in true righteousness and holiness. Now, how about that for a transformation? Like God, in true righteousness and holiness. This is pretty radical stuff. Don't let the gospel lose its power. Like God in true righteousness and holiness. Oh my goodness. Paul confronts the Ephesians about their way that they're living on the basis that this isn't the way that you of life that you learned. They they think differently about their previous life. They've had a revelation of what that was about. And now they were taught in Jesus. And so this is the question I've been wrestling with. How did they learn these things? Again, it's about the mind. How did they learn these things? Well, it's not about the facts that they'd learned about Christ. Because it says that they were taught in Christ with the truth that is in Jesus. So it wasn't what they knew, but who they knew that made the difference. It's more than that. Because literally what he's saying is that you have learned Jesus. (laughs) In other words, they'd incarnated him. It was like they'd inhabited his person and the life he lived on earth, even though they'd never actually met him in the flesh. Just like Jesus said, uh, um, abide in me, and I in you, and you in me, and I in you. Bringing in Christ to a whole other level of revelation and experience. They'd never actually met him, and that they said that you learned Jesus. And they weren't copying the way that he lived or applying principles of his teaching. Guys, we've got to be so careful about this and with our Western education mindset. They lived Jesus. They learned a way of life from learning a person. One commentator says that there is no parallel for this idea anywhere in literature. And it's hard to understand. You know, I've really wrestled with this. You know, how do you learn a person and live their life instantaneously? It's not even like I've been with him for a bit. It's like an instantaneous transformation, learning a person and living his life. How is it even possible? Well, the clue is that it has to be about the way that you think. We need a different mind. We need a mind that thinks differently. <laughs> and Paul says that we get a new mind. <laughs> he says we have the mind of Christ. So we can think like him. Because without that, we think like the unbeliever. We have the mind of Christ, and that means we have a new disposition in our thinking. Our minds are being renewed. Our minds are awakened, verse 21, in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. 
And so we are made new, verse 23, in the attitude of our minds. Motivation, attitude, affects our altitude, affects our ability to live differently. It's a change of thinking, an an ongoing process where we begin to think differently to unbelievers. You know, about everything. You know, ever wondered why you don't feel like you fit into this world? You've got a different way of thinking. You've got a different way of looking at the world. You look through the world with a different filter because you have the mind of Christ that's being renewed continually. So don't worry about not fitting in. You're not meant to. You've got a different address now. You're a heavenly citizen seated in Christ. You're going to look at things a whole lot differently. And now that needs to work out in your life. We think differently. We think differently about ourselves now to what we used to. About our past We have a different way of looking at that now. It's been forgiven, redeemed, restored, and made new. We think differently about others. It's not just about me and my life and my stuff. It's about everybody. It's about the world. We're motivated differently. Have you found this? You know, I actually want to do good. My appetite for sin is is diminished. Actually, I think that's one of the ways that we know that we're truly born again is that our sinful habits vex us like they never used to. Our conscience has become even more sensitive. I just don't want to be that way anymore. And so we, we don't, it's not condemnation, but it's just despair. Lord, I know I'm better than this. I'm so sorry. I should know better. That's how I repent. I don't know about you. Come on, is anybody getting this? We've got a different mind. Say that to yourself. I have a different mind. I've got a different mind. I've got renewed thinking. That means I want to change I want to think differently. I want to live differently. I I want to be like Jesus. It's a real thing. It's not just a concept out there somewhere. Well, that would be a good idea. The good moral teacher. I'll follow his life. I follow Jesus. I'm trying to do what he did. No, it's more than that. I want to inhabit him. I want to be the incarnation of him. That's what the body of Christ is about. The body of Christ, there's the clue. Together, we are the incarnation of Christ. How... (laughs) Don't dishonour the church. Don't dishonour the body of Christ. It's Christ. Don't know where that came from, but it felt good. You see, the Spirit of God is working in us and he begins to lead us in that way so that we want different things now because of the person of Christ and the life of Christ that we too have heard and known. It's not like there's a rule book 
that tells us how to live like Christians now, now that we're believers. I mean, there are those kind of books around, but how many of you found them really useful? (laughs) It's more like a discovery. It's more like a series of revelations. It's, It's like an encounter. It's like a eureka moment where I I find that I've got a freedom now not to do that anymore and to do something else that's better. And Paul says about it, it's stuff to throw off, throw off the old and embrace the new. There's a freedom like that because you want to be the person that looks more like Jesus than looks like me. And that's why we must change. Because of the freedom that we have to do so. (laughs) I must change. I can't live in any other way. It's just not good enough for me anymore. That's not who I am anymore. I'm this other person. That's that's who I used to be. And this is the person that I am now. I know it. I know it. Paul talks about putting off in verse 22 and he talks about putting on in verse 24. It's kind of like making it as easy as changing your clothes. That's why we call this get changed. Get changed. Here are your new clothes, he says. Now take off those dirty old rags that you've been wearing. You're going to look so much better in these. You know, I just felt like, uh, as I was preparing this, that this is a prophetic picture for somebody here or online or whatever. You've thrown away some old clothes recently, and you've bought some new ones. And I just feel like God wants you to know that that's prophetic for you. There's a new way of living for you that he has for you. And you've actually physically done that, and you're even wearing something new today, and you're feeling good about that. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's what it means. You're going to look so much better in these things. Look, when did your thinking last change about something? You know, when when did you start thinking differently? When did you find that you have the freedom to think differently about? And something from your past or something that's going on in your life you see renewed thinking comes with a choice that you didn't have before I had no option but to think that dark way but now we find that we've got a choice whether or not to fear have you ever known that moment where you think oh I can choose whether or not to be anxious, whether or not to be negative, think negatively, act negatively, whether or not to forgive or let go. Whether or not to lust or to love, have a choice. Anybody? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now let God magnify that. Yeah. Let him magnify that. 
that revelation, let him magnify that in your life. I have a choice. Just say that to yourself. I have a choice. I don't need to do that anymore. I get to do this. I get to do this. Oh my goodness, Lord, help me. Do you know, this is life-changing. This message is life-changing because the gospel is life-changing. We need to think differently because we have the mind of Christ. And sometimes it's a choice, you know, that comes in a moment of decision. And it can even surprise you. So, for example, a couple of weeks ago, we were given notice about the storage of our furniture in the warehouse and the equipment that's been in the warehouse ever since we moved out of Jago House. We have to be out by the end of July and we have nowhere to go. And this kind of thing, if you know me, this really stresses me out, okay? And and my reaction to this kind of thing isn't usually very good. I usually, well, I get very stressed. But this time, as the message popped up on my day off, (laughs) I found myself smiling. And I said, well, Lord, you've got two months. You've got two months to get us somewhere, so what are you going to do about it? That didn't come from me. It did, but it didn't. This was a new thought. This was a choice. Oh, Lord, what are you going to do? Something shifted after the week of prayer, actually. Something shifted in my thinking. Who cares what happens in the end? I know that God's up to something. I chose to respond that way in a moment because I was free to do so. How about you? How does your thinking need to change about any aspect of your life or relationships? I just want you to take a moment right now and say, Holy Spirit, how does my thinking need to change? about any aspect of my life or relationship. Just take a moment and ask him. Now, don't go rooting around in the dark, all right? The first thing, he'll speak to you straight away. Got something? There is always something, come on. Because <laughs> we're not the finished article. There's always something. How do you want me to change, Lord? And, and what he said to you in that moment, just say, Lord, you can have it. Lord, you can have it. I want to partner with heaven about this. I want to change the way that I think so that I change the way that I live. Thank you, Jesus. There's a eureka moment. I was speaking to somebody this week and we were just having this conversation and And they just suddenly said, but that's not you. That's not the way that you are. That's legalistic thinking. That's not who you are. And they just went, I'm having a Kairos moment right now. I just see it. 
because I didn't give it that label before. But now I do. I see that it's legalism. I know how to deal with it. I know how to repent, and I can walk free. In that moment, it happened in a moment. I watched it happen, and I just thought, this is really cool. That's how he does it. Jesus turns up, and I suddenly find a freedom to be free that I didn't have before, and I didn't even know I needed it. I hope you're getting this. I hope you're getting this. It's like Paul say, is saying, how can you live like the Gentiles? You don't even think like them anymore. How can you live like an unbeliever? You don't even think that way anymore. Don't you know that you're never going to be the same again? Don't you know that now you've found Christ, you're never going to fit in again like you used to? Don't you know that we're irrevocably changed, ruined, the word from last week, for anything else other than Christ? Ruined. Did you know that's what you signed up for? (laughs) Jesus has ruined me. I'm just not happy any other place. That's why I never went away from God as a teenager. I missed God. I missed his presence. I was ruined. Nothing else tasted as good. Amen? Whoo, this is good stuff. Third point, right thinking leads to a new life. The new life of the believer. Ephesians 4, 25 to 28. Therefore, each of you must... Put off false, put off false, can't even say the word, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. And don't give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing, don't do it anymore. Work, do something useful that you might have something to share with those in need. Therefore, as a result of how things are, and in the view of all that's been said so far in the book of Ephesians, here are some of the outcomes of right thinking, and this is how it's going to change your life, a list which Simon's going to continue the week after next. Firstly, I see moral integrity in this. Verse 25, put off falsehood and speak truthfully. That's your inheritance, moral integrity. We don't need to fake it under a mantle of shame any longer. We can live openly and honestly without fear of what others might think or say. Because, as Paul says, we're all members of one body. In other words, I don't know if this is right to interpret it, but this is how it came to me. We're all in this together. So be honest about who you are. We're all in this together. None of us have got it all sorted. We can be honest with one another. This is what I'm struggling with right now. Do you want to know? (laughs) No, it's all right. (laughs) That wouldn't be very edifying. But too often in our culture especially, we don't say what we mean or we don't mean what we say. Falsehood. Or if we do say it, it's a kind of a passive-aggressive kind of way. But there's no such thing as faking it till you make it in the body of Christ. In the end, things come out. 
And we've seen plenty of that in recent times. You know, God has a way of bringing things out into the open, not to condemn us, but so they can be dealt with. And so we need to find ways of living openly and honestly with one another because we think differently about things now. As I sometimes say, no one needs to know all of our stuff as long as somebody knows some of it. (laughs) Do what you can to live openly and without shame. Don't get beaten up. Don't get beaten up. Secondly, I see here emotional wholeness. Verse 26, this is an inheritance for you. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. How many people know that being a Christian doesn't mean that you lose all your emotions? But sometimes our emotions need attention or they need to be resolved in some way. Sometimes we get angry. And sometimes anger is sinful and sometimes it's not. Often this is determined by how long it festers or remains unresolved. So put a limit on it. Paul says, don't let the sun go down. No anger should outlast the day. And that's really good advice. And something Alice and I have strenuously sought to live out in our relationship, which means that occasionally we've had some really late nights so that the sun almost comes up the next morning. But it's really significant to make that agreement with one another. But even with other believers, always try to put a limit on it. Try to resolve things before they get too far. Ask others to help you if you need help. But don't let it fester because that gives the enemy a backdoor into your life or into relationships, especially in the church. Thirdly, I see spiritual well-being or freedom. Verse 27, don't give the devil a foothold. And we looked at this verse a while ago, and it's about not giving the devil a place in your life where he can get his hooks into you and lever control. So don't give him any space, Paul says. Keep a short list of sins, confess them to God daily. Resolve emotions quickly. Put things right with other people as best that you can, as we've seen. And pursue freedom from all demonic control. Go after peace. Go after spiritual well-being, being right with God. You don't need to be oppressed by the enemy any longer. So get your thinking aligned with truth and it will not only set you free, it will keep you free. Don't partner with lies. Don't believe them about yourself or about other people. Reserve judgment. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Be kind. Something Angela talks about often. She says, be kind. Just be kind. Love well and it will cover a multitude of sins, even your own. Don't give an inch to the devil Guard your mind and think rightly. Finally, right thinking is about having self-respect. Do you respect yourself? Verse 28, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer. I don't steal, 
but must work doing something useful with their own hands. I do work. That they may have something to share with those in need. You see how you could just overlook this verse? Oh, that doesn't mean me. But this is what it's about. There's no pride in being a thief, taking what you can't afford to buy. Actually, there's a lot of shame in it. And so God wants us to work, to do something useful, to be productive, to create, to contribute, to share what we have with others, to be generous, to have some self-respect, to think rightly about ourselves and who we are made in the image of God. I'm not talking about being arrogant or prideful, but thinking well of ourselves as sons and daughters of the king bought with the blood of Christ. Chin goes up. Walk. We're told to hold our heads up, you know, and know who we are. Know what we've got and know what we're called to do. That's what we're about, isn't it? Don't steal from others. Don't rob them and put them down to lift yourself up. Right thinking means we live honourably. And we use our hands to build others up, not pull them down, and share with one another generously and not steal from them. That's right thinking. Okay? So it was just a quick... um, Some of the attributes, I think, of right thinking there. Let me just conclude. The gospel's (laughs) life-changing. I hope you've got that message. But has it changed your life? And is it still changing your life? Well, it depends on how you think about things. In some things, we need to change the way that we think. We need to keep repenting for new things. We need to stop thinking in certain ways and put off off some old ways of thinking that come from our old lives and put on some new ways of thinking and new ways of living. And for some of us, It's time to throw out some of those old clothes because we've got some royal robes to put on. The royal robes of righteousness bought with the blood of Jesus. Just do that for a moment, Lord. Put off these old things. And right now, put on the robes of righteousness. Thank you, Lord. And the helmet of salvation, the whole lot, all the metaphors, they're fine. Clothed with Christ. And how we are thinking is important because it affects how we live. And so we need to think rightly about ourselves, about God and others. So how are you doing with your thinking? And how is the way that you think being shaped by what you know of Jesus? Now I'm struggling to find the right sentence there. Because that's the central message from today. Knowing Jesus. Not about him. Abiding in him. Being in him. Being in Christ. That's not something we've got to work up. It's something we are. Something we inherit. Knowing Jesus. Incarnating him. Inhabiting his life. That's what we're called to do. And this is life-changing stuff. I've got the mind of Christ Jesus didn't come to provide us an example that we should follow. Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Oh my goodness, if you're trying to learn about him all the time, how can you enjoy life? 
Right thinking manifests fruit in our lives, and that's plain to see. Moral integrity, emotional wholeness, spiritual well-being, self-respect. So which one of that list does Jesus want you to be working on in this season? So on, can we put the list up again? Oh, it's still there. No, it's not. I want you just to talk, go back to the person you were talking to earlier and say, I didn't know what Jesus was changing in my life. I've got some ideas now. I think I need to be working on one of these. So just take a few minutes and then I'll call you back and I'm going to pray for you and we'll close. God's on the move and he's changing our lives. But it comes because we have an encounter moment with him, a Kairos moment, a Eureka moment. We said, I can believe you. I don't need to worry that I've run out of cups or I don't need to worry that I'm in the right place anymore or I don't need to respond in that way. It's just a moment in God where you've got freedom to think differently. Can I just pray for you that God just gives... We're going to finish. I know we finish a quarter past, so we're going to finish. But if this kind of resonates with you, will you just stand up and I'll pray for you? If it doesn't resonate with you, I'm sorry, I've done my best. Um, and why don't you just put your head on your, your hand on your head, your head on your hand, your head in your hands, and, and say, Lord, I invite multiple Kairos moments this week. If there's anything that you want to change in my thinking, Lord, I'm open to you. Because, Father, I want to change my life to live a glorifying life for you. I want to be like Jesus. And Father, we want to pray for ourselves as a whole church that we would be a church of liberated people who know who they are, know what they've got, and know what they're called to do, and do it. Obey you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, come. Just protect this word. You know how sometimes the word can get stolen just because of busyness. And life, Lord, we, we say this is, we receive this word. This is an important word for us and for our freedom, Lord. And we, we just ask you that you would protect it in our thinking this week. In Jesus' name, amen.